You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Good morning, church. How y'all doing? It's good to see y'all. We are finishing up Song of Solomon this morning. Now, we have followed this couple from the time that they met, they started dating, he started pursuing, she started allowing him to pursue, we saw the wedding, and then we saw the honeymoon, praise God, and then last week, Pastor Andrew talked about their first conflict that we see in Scripture, and how they navigated that conflict, and really how we can leverage conflict conflict for the glory of God, and how conflict, although conflict isn't fun for some people, that conflict really can honor God if we do it in a way that allows Him to win and we're not trying to win. Amen? It's not about us winning. It's about allowing God to win and show up in the conflict. So this week, we are going to be in chapter 7 and 8, but I do want to tell you I'm not reading the entire chapters of both. So don't freak out. This is not going to be crazy long. There are some verses in each chapter that I really believe we can, we can take some things away from that will allow us to continue on in our relationship, in our marriage, for the glory of God. How many of you that are married in this room would say that the last four or five weeks have been the best four or five weeks of your marriage? Every husband in this room should raise their hand. Amen. Okay, so here's the truth. And I did ask if I could share this, so I'm going to share this, but um, me and Ashley over the past five weeks have had some godly time more than any other five-week period in our marriage. And, And for me, being as arrogant and egotistical as I am, I was thinking, man, she's really been listening to these sermons. Like, these sermons are really helping her want to respond well to me. And the more that I started thinking about it, the more I realized that she's still acting and responding the same way. In fact, what has happened is I began to pursue her more because of this series. I began to truly pursue her in the way that God intends for us to pursue our wives. So husband, I pray that you're pursuing your wife like never before. And wife, I pray that you're receiving that pursuit in a way that shows that you respect and honor your husband. Now, as we, as we move into to this last bit, I just want you to know that they have their honeymoon, we see a fight, and then it really goes back to kind of some honeymoon type talk here. So there, there are going to be some verses, we're not going to hit them all like we did a couple weeks ago, but there are going to be some some sexual verses here because they understand that when you pursue and when you respond in the way that God intends, then the gift that is sex from God in the covenant of marriage man, is something to be grateful for, is something that we should really enjoy doing together as a husband and wife. Before we jump in, I want to read a card to you. We received this from the school, and we received these a lot, and I never read them to you, so I thought, man, this would be a good thing to do, uh, because it's because of you that we get these. Um, To all Impact Church 
and my friend Elena because she's amazing and she sets all this stuff up. Thank you for your generosity. I truly appreciate your gift of school supplies. They will certainly be put to good use. We get these thank you cards because of your generosity. We were able to provide gift bags to every teacher, every staff member really here at North Harlem Elementary. So what I want to do is I want to thank you guys publicly for your abundant generosity. It's because of you that we're able to bless other people. So this thank you to Impact Church isn't a thank you to me. It's a thank you to you guys for being faithful in what God has called you to do. So let's jump in. Chapter 7. Verse 1, probably my favorite verse of chapter 7 says this, How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Now, listen, nobody likes feet if their mind is right. Right? So we're not talking about like crazy people. Some of them, maybe. But if you're, if you're a normal person, feet just aren't pretty. Amen? It doesn't matter how much money you spend on getting your toes done, how much massaging there is, how much scraping dead skin, all that. Like it's nasty to even talk about feet. And here we have Solomon looking at his wife. And he's saying, man, how beautiful are your feet in sandals. We have one, one rule, one dress code on this stage, and it is you cannot wear flip-flops on this stage because of feet and how ugly they are. And you guys would be staring at my toes like, what is happening right now? And you would miss what the Spirit is trying to do in this place, and we don't want to do that. This brother is like, man, your feet are so beautiful in those sandals. And I don't know if you've ever said that to your wife. But man, this dude is like raising the bar for us. We see at the honeymoon in chapter 4, he starts at the eyes. And I think, again, the, the goal is for him to move from the head to the toes. He gets like to the equator and he stops at the honeymoon. So now he's at the toes and he's going to work his way up. But what this shows and what this really, what this really means is that he really knows her even more now than he did when they got married. Like he is, he is so into her. Everything about her is beautiful to him. The stuff that he didn't know when they got married, he now knows. He knows what her feet look like. He knows what they smell like. He knows everything about these feet. And he's like, man, you are beautiful. And then he says, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master's hand. Now, this is important, man, because if we say what he said, we will get in trouble. You don't tell your wife that you have thighs like a running back or anything like that. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that you are a masterpiece. Like everything about you, you are a masterpiece. And really, it's a lot like what his dad said in Psalm 139. Verse 14 says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. He's saying you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, Paul would say it like this, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are the masterpiece and the workmanship of God. And Solomon is telling his wife, not that your thighs are just so big and 
And amazing. Now he's saying you are a masterpiece. You are the most beautiful person that I've ever seen in my life. Verse 2 says your navel is rounded, bold, that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Again, man, like culturally, yeah, that's cool. Not cool now. We don't say that. Some of you are like, oh yeah, now you're talking about my life. You got the weed and the, yeah, that's not, that's not how this goes, man. There was two festivals back then. One was uh, like just for wine and saying, God, thank you that you provide for me even things that I want. And in the fall, they had a festival with wheat and it was, God, thank you for providing everything that I need. And what he is saying is, you are everything that I want and you're everything that I need. There's nothing more in my life that I need except for you. He is saying, you are my only legitimate source of romance. It is you. There's nothing else. You provide what I want. You provide what I need. You are a gift from God. Now, I do want to... No, we're not going to go there. That's too graphic. Verse 3. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Now, we've seen this verse before where he's talking about her anatomy as little deer, right? And Again, he's not saying that they're, they're fuzzy woodland type animals. That's not, that's not the goal here. What he's really saying is, when we got married, this is what I said, and now years and years later, I'm still saying this. He's basically saying, you haven't lost a step. You are still amazing. You are still beautiful. And I don't know if you know this or not, but we change over time. Like, who looks the same as when they got married? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, you're lying. Um, so what, what happens is like gravity takes over, like skin starts to, to wrinkle, weight starts to like just show up in places, and it's like, why is, why is this happening? And our body just begins to change. And he is saying, you are still just as beautiful now as you ever were. You are Amazing. He is continuously speaking life into his wife. It says your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools and Heshbon by the gate of Bath Ravim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is a captive in the tresses. He is saying a lot of stuff here, but this is basically what he's saying. He's saying, You are peace, you are safety, you are everything that I want. This is the king of Israel, by the way. And he's saying that, hey, I have a crown, like I have a real crown, but no, you are my crown. That's what he's saying, that you, like if you want to be impressed by me, let me introduce you to my wife. And I don't know if you're like that, but that's how I am. It's like, hey, if you really want to be impressed by me, let me, let me introduce you to Ashley. Because she is the best part of me. They're, like, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a dumb dude from, like, Hepzibah, right? That's who I am. Not that Hepzibah's bad, I'm just saying that's me. Like, I'm, I'm me. Ashley is, like, beautiful, intelligent, driven, organized, like, all these different things. And it's like, yeah, so I'm none of those, but she is amazing. And he is saying that there's nothing else in this world that, that is good for me. Like this crown 
That's great, but she is my real crown. She is the best part of me. And then he's saying this, that he's held captive by her. And that as he looks into her eyes, he can get lost in that moment. He can get lost in that peacefulness. He can get lost in that safety. When is the last time that you looked into the eyes of your spouse and you just got lost in the moment? And you know what helps that, by the way, is going on dates. Like, you should go on dates. It's important to do that. And as we've kind of gotten older and we have kids, we've kind of transitioned from nighttime dates to daytime dates. And daytime dates are cool because they're cheaper. And man, I'm all about some cheap. And man, we can be sitting there looking at each other. And man, I can just get lost in how beautiful and amazing she is. Now, I'm not saying that it works both ways, right? I'm not saying she gets lost in this. I'm saying I get lost in her. And nothing else matters in that moment. Like, it doesn't matter if, like, who cares about anything else in that moment to me. Like, it's all about her. Like, I can just, I can just stay there. I can just sit there in that moment with her. But what happens a lot of times as, as marriages just go on and on and on, we do really well shoulder to shoulder because there's a lot of tasks that have to be accomplished. So we're really good at working together as a team and we're accomplishing tasks and we're getting the kids ready for school. We're, we're taking the kids here. We're taking the dogs here. We're cleaning the house. And we're really good at teaming up and tackling tasks. The problem is that we never turn and we're never face to face. And over time, what happens is when we're shoulder to shoulder, we become just we, we become really good buddies, which is really good for marriages, but then we become just like roommates, just, just teammates doing things together, and there's no intimacy anymore in our marriages because we stop facing each other. I want to challenge you to take some time to face one another this week, whatever that looks like for you. Do you get lost in the eyes of your spouse. Verse 6 says, How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Now, wife, I'm going to talk to you for just a second. Are you pleasant? Like, that's a good question. Are you pleasant? Because it says how beautiful and pleasant you are. This, this brother is like, hey, you are pleasant. When I get home from work, you're pleasant. When, when I call you on the phone, you're pleasant. They didn't have phones. Just imagine it. Like, you are a pleasant person. So here's my question for you, wife. Are you pleasant? Or, if, if your husband gets a text and it says, please call me, does he have to stop and meditate and pray before he calls you on the phone? Does he have to say, okay, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, like, I'm just going to need you to, like, and then he's just scared to death to call you because he just knows what's on the other end. When he gets home from work, is it, hey, I missed you so much, I love you, how was your day? Or is it, here's, here's the list of things that I need you to do right when you walk in the door. Here are the kids that have been driving me nuts all day. You get no time to take a break. Take care of these kids or I'm going to kill them. And I'm like, kill them. Like I'm, like, I'm taking a break. 
Are you pleasant? Like he is saying that you are beautiful and pleasant. Proverbs says that uh, a wife is either a crown or a cancer. Right? Are you pleasant toward your husband? And I'm not beating down on you. I'm, I'm about to beat down on the husbands here in a minute. But verse 7 says, Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. Okay, I was going to repeat this verse like four times. I'm not doing that. This is what it sounds like. He is saying, you are beautiful and I'm ready to just, I'm ready for you. Like, I want it, I'm ready. And then he's saying that, like, your breath is, smells like apples. So, brush your teeth. Like, we talked about that before. Like, it's important. Brush your teeth, use mouthwash. Probably not apple, unless you're into that. What he's saying is that she's valued. He's saying, you are valued. I'm pursuing you. Like, I want you. He hasn't stopped pursuing if we're going to mature in our love with one another, we cannot stop pursuing our spouse. We can't let the busynesses of this world keep us from pursuing the one that we have joined together with in a covenant before God. We can't stop pursuing. And then she interrupts in verse 9 and says, it goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. The, the word desire here means he is consumed. He is consumed by me. Husband, does your wife feel like she is enough for you? Have you pursued her enough to where she knows that she is the only desire that you have. Does she know that there's, there's nothing else? There's no one else. Like she is it for you. That you are consumed with her. Have you pursued her and valued her enough for her to know that? I want to give you two points this morning. Point number one is this. Your love can grow old or you can grow old in love. It's your choice. Like you, you can, your love can grow old or you can grow old in love. It's your choice. And, and what, what the Bible doesn't say, what we don't see here in the book of Song of Solomon is that their love grows old. No, it's, it's that they're growing old in love together. Like the love doesn't go away. The passion doesn't go away. The pursuit doesn't go away. The, the showing value and worth and respect and honor, it never goes away. It, it's constant. And that's how we mature in love is that we continue doing these things. We can't just say, all right, we, we finally made it and then we stop. That's not the biblical godly view for marriage. It's that we continuously pursue. We continuously show value. We continuously show worth. So that we grow old in love together and our love doesn't grow old. And there's some people in this room, maybe you've been married for like a year and you're like, yeah, so it's already going there. Here's the good news. is that there's hope in Jesus. 
right? That's the good news. Some of you, you've been married for like 40 years and you're like, yeah, we're still going strong. And that's amazing. Like, we need to learn from you how this, how this works. We all have a, a part to play as a husband, as a wife, and as a community of believers taking these steps together. Like, we all have next steps to take. We say that all the time, right? There's a next step for you to take. There is a next step for you to take in your marriage. Maybe it's to pursue more. Maybe it's to pursue better. Maybe it's to respond better to the pursuit. Maybe it's, it's just to plan some date nights. Whatever it is, there is a next step for you to take in your marriage. And if we want to mature in love, then we have to continuously do these things. And speaking of next steps, if you have a next step to take, not in your marriage, but just in general, we have a new next step center here in the back. Stop and check it out. That's all I'm saying. Chapter 8. We're not going to read the first four verses. This is basically what the first four verses, they're saying this, that back in this culture, there was no PDA allowed, right? They couldn't kiss in public. They couldn't really do anything unless you're related. So it's kind of weird because she, she starts chapter 8 like, oh, I wish you were my brother. And then it's like, okay, wait a minute. Just a minute. Like, this is Georgia. This ain't Alabama. Like, you know what I mean? We don't do that here. So that's not what she means, though. What she's saying is, I wish that I could kiss you in public. I wish that we could show people how much we really love each other. So that's the first four verses. They're talking about that. And then in verse 5, they're, they're planning on going somewhere. And then... Well, verse 5 is this. Who is that coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? So there's people that are like, who is this girl? She's completely different than who we knew. Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. So she's saying, hey, this is a divine appointment. We've talked about that. Saying that God has put us together. And then she says, set me a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm for love is strong as death. And some of you are like, amen, we're going to explain that. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Okay, so her friends are saying, who is this girl? Like she's completely different because he has created an environment for her that she can grow up and grow into who God has called her to be. Husband. Have you cultivated an environment where your wife can grow into who God has called her to be? We are, we are called to provide, to protect, to cultivate. Are you cultivating an environment for her to be who God has called her to be? Then this is a divine appointment. And then... They're saying, man, love is as strong as death. And the word death here in Hebrew really is sheol. And every other time sheol is used, it's for hell. So they're saying that love is strong as hell. And you're like, yeah, amen to that. Like, I get it. And this is what they mean. That hell is permanent. That when, when you get there, like there is no leaving. Like it is something that it holds you and it keeps you. And when you are in hell, you are in hell for eternity. And they are saying that this love is as strong as that. This is 
permanent. There's a permanence to this love. The culture, like our culture has taught us that, man, you don't have to have permanence. It's okay to just walk away when things get hard. It's okay to, to... to just do what you want to do, and if things aren't working, you just kind of go find something else. Like, culture has taught us that that's acceptable. And we see here that, no man, when, when we're in a covenant, when we're in this, this relationship that God has ordained, and we have this love that flows from God through us to our spouse, that man, it is as strong as death. And then it says jealousy is fierce as the grave. You may be asking, is it okay to be jealous? And here's my answer to that. Like, the the Bible teaches us that God is a jealous God, and He's not jealous of, like, stuff that we have or, like, things that we do. Like, he's, He's not looking at you and like, hey, that's a nice house. I really wish I had a house like that. Like, He's not jealous like that. He's a jealous God because He wants the best for us and knows that He's the one that can give it to us. And in the same way for our marriages, like we shouldn't be jealous of someone, we should be jealous for them. Because we should know that they, can, they can't get this love anywhere else but from us. That's how much we should be loving them. Is that there's nobody else that can love you as much as I love you. There's no one else that can treat you as good as I treat you. There's no one else who's going to pursue you as much as I pursue you. There's no one else who's going to respond to you the way that I respond to you. So we're not jealous of, but we're jealous for. And then verse 7 says, many waters cannot quench love. That when God brings this thing together, and He is the center of it all, that there's nothing that can quench this love. Point number two is this, faithfulness isn't the goal of marriage. It's the foundation of marriage. Like the goal isn't to be faithful. The the goal isn't to, to have fidelity. That's not the goal. It is the foundation of your marriage. You are faithful because you love them. You are faithful because there's there's nothing else that you could ever even imagine like getting in the way of that faithfulness. It's not the goal of it. It's the foundation of it. Your wife, husband, this is for you. Your wife is is one of the sanctifying agents that God uses in the, the process of sanctification in your life. And you may be thinking, what is that? Like, that's a big churchy word, sanctification. I don't even know what that means. That's cool. I don't really get it either. Um, I'm just kidding. I do get it. This is what it means. Is that the moment that you say yes to Jesus and begin to follow Him, that there is a process that starts. And the process is that you are becoming more and more like Him. And it's not because of us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that is what they say sanctifying us which is doing work in our life to make us more and more like Jesus. And the process doesn't stop until the day we meet Him. So the entire time that you're on this earth, your entire life from the point of salvation into the point of death, like physical death, you are being sanctified. Now, 
your wife and your husband, for that matter, right? Both, your spouse. They are a sanctifying agent that God uses. I mentioned that Ashley is organized and driven and amazing and all this stuff. And over time, like, she has taught me to be some of those things. Like, I am being more and more sanctified because of our relationship. And my biggest prayer, when, when I'm dead, I don't want people to, to be like, man, he was a great pastor, uh, he was a great leader. Like, none of that matters as much to me. Man, I really want them to say, he was an amazing husband. Like, he was an amazing father. And I want Ashley to get to the end of her life and look back and say, that's the best decision that I ever made was, was marrying him. But because because of him, because of him, me, right? Because of Dustin, I was able to grow into who God has called me to be. Not because I, I did that for her, but because I cultivated an environment for her to grow and to be who God has called her to be. Because God uses us to help sanctify our spouse. Now listen, don't, don't misunderstand me. Like we don't do the sanctifying, right? Pastor Andrew talked about that last week. It's not our job to change our spouse. Like we're not doing that. What we're doing is we're creating an environment where they feel comfortable and where they're confident to step into who God has called them to be. Do you have an environment in your home like that? Here's the point. Here's the point of everything. The point of it all is this. Is that when you have a wedding and you get married, there is a war. We've talked about this. We see it in Genesis. As soon as Adam and Eve are married, that's when the devil, he enters the picture. There's a wedding. There's a war. And he is at war against your marriage right now. And some of you are like, yeah, on the way to church, he was definitely in the car. Like, he's definitely fighting. And if you have kids, like, he's, de he's fighting. Sundays are the worst days, like, to get the family ready. And I don't even understand, like, why that's even the case. Like, my kids have to leave the house by 745 every day. You try to leave the house by 9.15 on Sunday and it's like they've never done it before in their life. I don't know if y'all struggle with that. I know I'm getting a little loud. I'm a little passionate about this. But man, the devil does not want your marriage to succeed. He doesn't. Because he understands that it's an ordained covenant. That God has ordained this for you. That it is a reflection of God's covenant relationship with His people. And the enemy knows that. Like, he knows Scripture better than we do. And he wants your marriage to be destroyed. Like, we know that John chapter 10 tells us his goal is to kill us. It's to steal everything away from us and to destroy us. And that includes our marriages. And my prayer is that we continue to mature in love. Before we close, and I, I want to talk to 
to some people because we get this question a lot and we've talked a lot about relationships and, and permanence and one man and one woman for one lifetime. And then there's people who, who are with, some right? They've, they've experienced divorce and they're with someone different. So it wasn't one person for one lifetime. And they're like, what about me? And this is what I want you to know. Is that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that God, man, God is for marriage. God is not for divorce. Now we talked last year in the Sermon on the Mount, in the book of Matthew, and in the book of Corinthians. We, we do see that there are some, there are some exceptions, right? So we see that adultery is an exception, and, and, and God says like, you, you're allowed to divorce for adultery, but man, that is, that's never God. Like, he doesn't want that. You're allowed to divorce for like abuse, but God's intention and His design is one woman, one man for one lifetime. And maybe for some of you in this room, you're like, yeah, so I, I've been divorced and 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 I feel that now, but what about the past? And here's the deal is that God is bigger than your past. And that the hope and the mercy and the love that we find in Jesus is greater than anything that's ever happened in your life. And I would say that in this moment, in this covenant that you're in now, if you're remarried, then man, honor God with everything that you are. Put Him as the center of your marriage, that this is for you as well. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like we're a church of imperfect people engaging a perfect God. And we're allowing God to work through our mess, to work through our past, to work through our pain, to work through our brokenness, to work through our experiences and situations. We're turning it over to Him and we're saying, hey, like you do what only you can do. I mean, that, that's what marriage is. It's surrendering to Him and saying, hey, you do what only you can do. Help me to pursue better. Help me to value more. Help me to show worth more. Help me to respond better. We're allowing the Spirit to do what only He can do. Till death do us part. We say that at weddings. We say till death do us part. Ashley asked me last night, she said, what are you preaching on? She, sometimes she asks, sometimes she doesn't. And I was like, well, I'm preaching on finishing. Like, she was like, finishing marriage? And I was like, yeah. I mean, I don't really know what, to talk. we're finishing the book of Song of Solomon. I was like, we're not really finishing marriage. We can call it that if you want to. And she was like, so we're dying? And I was like, I don't, I don't even know where this conversation is going. But the truth is, yes. Like it's finished when we die. Like it's still death to us part. It's in the poor part of for richer and poor. It's in the sick, the sick part, right? Or for sickness or in health. It's in the negative, it's in the bad, it's in the, it's in the ugly that we continue to mature in love. It is until death do us part. 
And guys, some of you, you just need to, you need to get your creativity back. Like you just, you stop being creative. You got lazy. Like that's the truth. Like we get lazy over time. All the cool things we used to plan, we don't plan them anymore. We just go to work. We go home. We want this done or this done, and we don't want to be bothered. And man, we're cool shoulder to shoulder, but we don't want to. We don't want to turn, man. We need to be more creative. Like plan a date. It doesn't have to be fancy. Go to Waffle House. Like they love it. Just plan something. Be creative. And women, some of you, you need to get your spontaneity back. Like I'm going to use this word because I don't know any other word to use. Y'all can send me emails later, but like you just kind of gotten crusty, right? You're just, there's no spontaneity anymore. We see in chapter 8, right? We didn't read this, but, but we see this in there. That she's like, hey, we're, we're going to go here and we're going to do something. We're going to do things that we know and then we're going to do things we don't know. Like, I got some things planned for you. Here's some spontaneity. I know you like this. We're going to try some of this too. And here's the deal. Every time he pursues her, she responds to him. And it's a pursuit and it's a response. It's a pursuit and it's a response. And we have to do our part. Guys, we have to pursue. Women, we have to respond. We have to communicate. We have to, we have to do this thing together till death do us part. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.